0: Good morning. This morning we're reading from Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, This is the word of the
1: Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to our God today. And today's passage is actually, uh, and the reason it's an important one is because it concludes the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul is finally completing his thought process. He's been going on and on and on, this long sentence that doesn't let you breathe for three chapters, and he finishes it with a big amen. So we have come to the the end of the first half of our study in the letter to the Ephesians. For this reason, Paul wrote, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now have you noticed that he has said those words, for this reason, again and again, he said it three times already in three chapters. In chapter one, he said it, and now twice in chapter two, he begins some thought with, for this reason. See, Paul was so excited, he kept getting distracted. He kept, he kept, distra- he kept interrupting himself to, to, to talk about the wonders of God's salvation and all that he had done for them. Basically, Paul is trying to tell them in the first three chapters that he is praying for them, and he just keeps getting distracted by how wonderful God loves them, you know, just the wonders of God, just keeps interrupting himself, but he gets back to what he's trying to say all along, which is, I am praying for you. What's interesting is Paul actually believed that God was going to answer his prayers in the affirmative. He really believed it because he says, and this, if you've been a Christian for a while, this is a famous phrase in the New Testament. He believed that God was going to, going to do far more abundantly than they asked or imagined. Well, we've heard that expression so often, and we use it a lot. And Paul talked about it in the context of his prayer. So my question to you, as we start today, is what is effective prayer? I know some of you have read books, you've gone to seminars and retreats. Um, What is effective prayer? Have you prayed for something that you didn't receive? Have you prayed for something that didn't happen? And if the answer is yes, and I'm sure it is to every person, what do you do with that? What, What have you... How do you carry the knowledge in in your mind that you've asked for things that God hasn't given to you? You've prayed for things to happen that have not happened. What what do you think of all of that? Or have you stopped praying because of the types of answers God's given you? Now, I'll say it up front. This is not a how-to sermon, okay? This is not How to get what you want through prayer. This is a how things are message today. How to get in step with the way God encourages prayer. How God has arranged, orchestrated, wired, established his economy of prayer in human beings' relationship with him. And effective prayer, I think we're going to see in Paul's illustration here, is that effective prayer flows from knowledge and relationship. Effective prayer flows from our knowledge of God and our relationship to him. And we're going to see in Paul's words how prayer comes from knowledge, prayer comes from relationship, and prayer comes from assurance. True prayer comes from our knowledge of God, our relationship with him, and our assurance in what he's capable of doing. Knowledge, what you know, must inform your prayers. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, if you read it, it, you see it's based upon correct knowledge of God's revelation. If you look at verse 14, we'll keep reading it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So right there, I'll stop, and you see those words, for this reason, it connects Paul's prayer back to everything that came before it. For what reason is he bowing his knees before the Father? For this reason, he's praying because he knows that God the Father's sovereign plan from all eternity has been lived out in human history he knows that from all eternity God had chose them before the beginning of the world God had had ordained to awaken their dead souls God had planned to gift them with faith and to prepare them for good works in the world that was chapters one and two So Paul is is praying because of his knowledge of God's plan from all eternity, but he's also praying because he also knows Jesus Christ's work in human history. The work of Christ, which was the focus of chapter two, to die for the sins of Jews and Gentiles who would come to trust in him by faith. And that God had not only reconciled uh, to himself himself uh, human beings who would trust in him by faith, but he even reconciled those people to one another and divi- breaking down that dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. So Paul is, Paul is saying for this reason, referring to God's eternal plans revealed through the Old Testament and Jesus Christ and the apostles and God's work in human history through Jesus Christ. So effective prayer is grounded in truth. And effective prayer is grounded in the gospel, the good news that, that we, we, when we talk about Jesus Christ, that's the good news, the gospel. The good news and truth, as the Bible presents these, that's how effective prayer has a foundation. Good luck praying to a God that you imagine exists. Good luck praying to a God whom you, you are trying to guess and predict his personality and his ways. You know, we pray to the God who is there, as Francis Schaeffer wrote many decades ago. We pray to the God who is there. And we pray to a God who has revealed his will to humanity. And since Paul prayed to the God who is What did he pray for? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 16. This is what he prays for, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying for an inner power granted by the spirit of God. This is a Trinitarian prayer. You see the father involved, you see the son involved, and now you see the Holy Spirit involved. Spiritual power, an inward spiritual power from the Holy Spirit to do what? What does this allow them to do? Well, verses 17 and 18 and 19 uh, give us more information. Paul is praying that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And at this point, we gotta say, whoa, slow down, Paul. We need to take a breath here. This is overwhelming. This is amazing, right? Look, he, he builds here the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he's he's praying that they would grasp the dimensions. Think of when you you you, you take a tape measure into a room and you measure the dimensions of the room. You get a deeper knowledge from within of the dimensions of that room. Paul is asking God to give them a sense of the dimensions, the width and length and height and depth of Christ's love. That's his request. That's what he's praying for. That they would comprehend the dimensions of Christ's love for them, and yet they will never fully comprehend it, right? Because he, he qualifies this love by saying it surpasses knowledge. Is he contradicting himself? I want you to know the love that surpasses knowledge. He's not contradicting himself if we think about how children learn love. Okay, now I, I know, we, you know some of you have complicated relationships with your parents. I get that. I get that. But um, assuming a healthy, uh, parent-to-child bond, assuming that, okay, um, how do children learn about the love of their parents? Well, a child knows her parents' love in, in, in a subjective sense. She knows intuitively that her parents love her, but she can't objectively know it. She, she can't fully, exhaustively know the love of her parents. It's like that children's book where the kid says to the mom, I love you to the moon. And the mom says, I love you to the moon and back. The parent is saying, you'll never comprehend how much I love you. And whatever you say to me, I promise you, I have more in me. I have more love in me than you could ever understand. The child will never fully understand the parent's love. But she can know it better, right? She can experience it more. As she grows and she experiences their care for her, Right? and she experiences their patience for her when she makes mistakes, when she's naughty, when she disobeys, when she rebels, when she fails. She can experience their patience. She can experience their forgiveness. She can experience their generosity. So in an experiential way, although never exhaustively, she can learn the love of her parents more and more. As God's children, we can't fully quantify His love as as we can exactly measure the dimensions of a room before we decide to renovate it. We can't. But if we're in it, we can come to appreciate it more and more. And that's, that's what Paul is asking for. He knows they can't quantify the love of Jesus Christ, but surely they can comprehend it more and more deeply. And that's his prayer for them. The love of God that he is praying they will understand is not some love that is ambiguous, as in our society today, love is defined as love is love is love is love is love. It's certainly not the kind of love that John Lennon sang about, whatever that was. This is a love that is specific. It is a love that comes from a God who describes himself as love itself, a God who has made himself known, the God who is there, the God who has revealed himself in history through Jesus, his son, and in his written word. That's the God we pray to. It's significant, I think, that in this prayer you see love involved just as knowledge is involved. Did you catch that? Love is just as important as knowledge. And so we understand that our relationship with God through prayer is not just intellectual. It's not just theoretical. It's experiential. How many of you have heard from a parent, I love you, but never felt that love? You know. You know that love has to be experienced. And so relationship relationship. Who you know, not just what you know, but who you know will guide your prayers. Effective prayer is not only grounded in truth. Effective prayer is guided by relationship with the God who is there. Look at verse 17, because at the heart of Paul's prayer for them and everything he's saying, he wants them to have. He says what? I'm praying for this spiritual strength. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your heart's through faith. It, well, aren't they saved already? Right? Because He's been saying in chapter 2 that, that it was by grace that they had been saved, that they were spiritually dead, but God made them alive through Christ. So is he, is he asking that God would save them again? No, he's not praying for, for regeneration all over again. They're already saved. Commentators say that the original Greek word for dwell, it, it meant to settle down somewhere. It meant to make your home, to be at home, to take up residence. And that gives us better perspective on what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Where he said to his disciples, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. You see the knowledge and the love together? If anyone keeps my word, my father will love him. I and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, Jesus isn't a spiritual delivery man who makes you sign for your salvation and then he hops back in the truck and speeds away. Jesus brings you his salvation and then he comes in and he makes himself at home in your heart. And Paul is saying, I want you to realize that this salvation is not a one-and-done experience, but the living God has taken up residence in your hearts, and I want you to know that, and I want you to know that Jesus is with you, and I want you to be hospitable to him in your life. He's taken up residence. He wants them to look at it differently, you see. Jesus comes in, he gets comfortable, because he plans to stay in your heart. See, the relationship that Paul enjoyed with Jesus Christ he's praying that they will enjoy that also. He's praying that they will know he is there with them and has stayed. John Calvin wrote that it is not enough if the knowledge of Christ dwell on the tongue or flutter in the brain. Saving faith prays differently than that. With a deeper knowledge of who God is, you know the Psalms are full of this kind of talk. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. But what do we know? We know that the courts of the Lord are no longer a temple. They're the human heart. We don't strike a plumb line or a laser scope or a ruler to a sanctuary anymore. We consider the dimensions of the love of Christ as he dwells within us. So for the Christian, the opportunity we have, the invitation from the Apostle Paul is to cultivate a life of prayer with the God who is there, with the God who has spoken, not a God of our imagination, not a God who lets us sit in the cockpit where we call him our co-pilot. Cultivate a prayer life with the God who is there and has spoken. I don't mean, now I have a suggestion, and I don't mean that it's a rule or a must, but it's been helpful to me in prayer as someone who has struggled with prayer um, throughout my life. Let your prayers flow out of your Bible reading. Let your prayers flow out of your Bible meditation, your conversations with one another, whether in your community group or in your friendships or as a ministry team or, or, or in your marriage, let your prayers flow out of your confrontation with the word of God. Of course, you can pray at, at any time, anywhere. I pray in the car. I pray in the shower. I, I, sometimes my prayers are as simple as, Lord, show up. Lord, I need your help right now. That's fine. But to get your life into the habit of prayer, whereas prayer is a response to the Word of God. Prayer is a response to thinking about, to meditating on, to remembering what you have read in the Word, what you have heard said in the Word of God, and in collaboration with one another. And here's what I simply mean by this we don't always have to come into prayer with an agenda, let God set the agenda. If we allow our prayers to flow out of God's word, then God sets the agenda. We're letting him set the agenda of our prayers. Or does your wish list, right? So think, think of sometimes, think of your prayer life as, as the, the Santa Claus wish list, okay? Is, is your prayer wish list reflective of a lack of knowledge? a lack of relationship with the God who is there. When you look at your prayer requests, right? imagine they are, they are stuck by a magnet to the refrigerator of your mind, that list. Start looking at the list. Think of it right now, think of it throughout this week. Look at your prayer list. Does it reflect a lack of knowledge, a lack of relationship with this God who is there, who has spoken? Who has given us all that we need to know for life and godliness, as the Apostle Peter said. Who has shown us who he is and what he's like through Jesus, his son in the flesh. Jesus warned his disciples against two major areas of of false prayer throughout human history in the world. Whether you're religious or not religious at all, whether you're an atheist or a believer, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, there are two major pitfalls that all human beings fall into regarding prayer. You can read all about it in Matthew chapter 6. Here's here's a summary of it. Jesus talked about hypocritical prayer and pagan prayer. He said hypocritical religious prayer is motivated by a desire for approval from people. I won't get into it because we don't have time, but read Matthew 6. He said there are religious hypocrites who pray as a way of getting status. Their prayer life is all about making themselves look good in the sight of other people. But there's another pitfall. Jesus talked about non-religious prayer, pagan prayer, secular prayer. And he said that was motivated by an attempt to manipulate God and control the world around us. So human beings from all times and in all places, Jesus said, are either using prayer as a tool for looking good toward, uh, to, to others, or people are using prayer as a tool to manipulate the universe or whatever they think God is so that they can get what they want in life. His alternative to both of those was Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have, and as Christians, we have done this. As as a culture, Christians in America have severed verse 20 in Ephesians chapter three from the rest of Ephesians chapter three. He is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. How many times have we said that and talked to one another about it and heard it said completely disconnected from everything Paul's prayed about before that verse. From what comes before it, we know that what Paul wanted was that we would better know God's love for us. That was his big prayer, that that we would comprehend the magnitude of the love of Christ. And after that, he says, and God is able to do more than we ask or think. Do what? Do what? Get us a new car? Make our kids the most well-behaved kids in Carroll County? No, God is more able to do more than we ask or imagine in the context of comprehending the depths of his love for us. God is able to convince you of his love for you. That is what Paul was confident about. Sometimes our problem is not how God answers our prayers, but what we're asking him for. Effective prayer is sustained by assurance. This is how you know what you know. We've talked about what you know. We've talked about who you know. And now we've got to talk about assurance. How you know what you know. Because Paul seemed sure, didn't he? Paul seemed convinced that God would do more than he asked or imagined was possible. How did Paul know this? Back to verse 20. How did Paul know that God was able to do far more abundantly than all they asked or imagined? He knew that. He was assured of that because of what comes next. He's able to do more than we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. Now, that's fascinating that he's just not superheroes zapping us with the ability to comprehend his love. Paul is saying that it's already in us. The power, the power is already in us and it doesn't come from us. We already know from chapter one and two that the power in you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and that the power of the Holy Spirit in you is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And so Paul knows that that power inside of you will allow you to grasp the height and depth and width and length and how great is the love of Christ. Effective prayer believes that God is able to do what he plans to do in you, in us, in the world. This is not just a you and Jesus talk. He keeps coming back to, right? He says, oh, to to him who is, be glory in Christ and in the church. He keeps saying God's going to do this in us. Not just in the individuals, but in us. Yes, yes, in you individually, of course. But in us. He is able to do far more than we ask or imagine. So what are we asking for? What's on our wish list? Did you think that by the sermon title, effective prayer, I was gonna give you a technique or a trick or a method. Hey, you let me know if you've got one because I can't find one. Every time I get closer to a healthy pattern of prayer, circumstances in my life or in my family change and it messes up the pattern I've had. And, and, and then, I am not joking, when we moved to Westminster to help plant Deep Run Church, it was like a three-year dearth. It was like a three-year famine. Because as our kids got older and we changed schools and we changed environments and my work schedule changed, what I was doing to grow in grace on my own in prayer, it it didn't work anymore. And it's only been in the last five years that I'm developing what works right now. But what hasn't changed is the power of God in me to help me comprehend the dimensions of his great love for me. So yeah, this this isn't a how-to uh get-what-you-want-out-of-prayer message, and I hope you never, ever hear one again for the rest of your life. I hope I never give you one. I hope we focus on what Paul says, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine in our ability to comprehend the depths of his love. Yes, he'll give us the things we need. Jesus asked, he said, pray for your daily bread. Of course, yes. but a God who is love wants us to appreciate the depths of his love. Effective prayer is about getting into step with the way things are. And the way things are is that God loves us and wants us to know it. And you're like, well, what about all these other things that Jesus commands us to do and that we need to reach people for Jesus and we need to look for a building and we need to make sure that we have more Sunday school teachers and we need to, yes, all of that really does matter. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he said, and all these things will be added unto you. To comprehend the depths of the love of Christ will deepen and bless our prayers as a church and as individuals. Effective prayer flows from knowledge, and it flows from relationship. It is grounded in truth, what you, who you, you know, what you know. It is guided by relationship, who you know. And it is sustained by assurance, how we know what we know. And we know that God will do more than we ask him to do as our prayers come into agreement with his will and not our own. Let's cultivate a prayer life with the God who is there and the God who has spoken. And as we turn to his table and feast on a sign of his grace, let's pray. Father, take our wills, take our hearts, take our our feet, our hands, our voices, take our jobs, take our possessions, our responsibilities, and everyone in this world that you have entrusted to us. And would you do what is your will? Would you do your will? May we seek to know the love of Jesus Christ. May we start there, Father, and and, and I believe, as Paul believed, that if we start with a desire to know your love and believe that you will reveal it to us, then all our prayer requests, all our priorities will fall into the right order. In Christ's name, amen.